welcome to the Clairon Podcast. In this series, The Narc Behind the Educator, I and fellow narcissism educators discuss and share our own personal journeys with the narcissist and narcissistic abuse in our own lives. Hi, Danish. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Claire. I am truly excited for this. I am too. I've seen so much of your content and I really appreciate your work ethic. Like the sheer amount of videos that you put out every day on every platform is really impressive. I am grateful to be honest because it's not just me. It's my team and everybody else involved who make it possible. I try to create a lot of content, but it's them who kind of put in the work to just put it out there. So I truly appreciate that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing. So you speak on your platforms about being raised by a narcissistic father and mother. Yes, I do that a lot. And it's been, I would say it's taken me a lot of time, courage and uh, uh, a lot of strength to finally open up about my childhood, about my experiences, given the relationship given the relationships and and the taboo and the possible danger to my life. But yeah, it's been amazing to see how many people have been able to resonate with what I try to share and how many people have found that content helpful. Yeah, you're helping a lot of people, definitely. What age did you realize that your parents were narcissists? So... It's the answer to this is a little bit mixed and complicated because mm-hmm. um, when it comes to my father, I knew early on that he's a monster. And yeah. in early years, he was absent. I didn't know who my father was until mm-hmm. I was five to five or six. I, I just don't remember the exact age. Yeah. And I, uh, my mother had left me with her mother, like with my grandparents to raise me. She okay. has her own reasons, but I don't, I don't, you know, agree with the same. So I didn't okay. have that bond and that connection with them early on. Okay. But then when I got back home, because I had separation anxiety, of course, a child would want to be yeah. with their mother. So, so yeah. did I. And then I got to experience my father and the monstrous virgin that came out because he's a, he's an overt malignant narcissist. There is nothing okay. hidden. He's physically, yeah. verbally, emotionally, psychologically abusive. So I would say, very early on, but with my mother, mm-hmm. it has been the most, the com- the most complicated because I was really enmeshed with her, but I didn't know mm-hmm. that is enmeshment. It's like when you are, yeah. when you, when you have both sides, both options are, you know, worse or bad. You cho- choose the one that is less than the other. So yeah, I did the same with my mother. She was quite, you know, smothering. Early on, I mean, it, to to answer your question, it took me a long time. I was in my, I'm still in my 20s, but I would say early 20s when I realized okay. that something is wrong here. Something is wrong yeah. here. And then I, then I finally, I mean, there are more details, but I finally found out and realized that she may be a covert vulnerable narcissist, which was a big shock to me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's common that the adult children of narcissists don't connect the dots until they're well into their 30s. Exactly. More so when the parent is a covert narcissist because they're, yeah. they're not hitting you. They're not verbally abusive. They're yeah. smothering. They're nice. Yeah. You are, you're manipulated through guilt tripping. Yes, through, through, uh, they, they, the sense of obligation. They control you through fear, but it's all hidden. So yeah. you don't know exactly or actually what's going on since there are no other referential experiences. Yeah. 
So you were raised by your grandparents until what age? Until uh, I was in fourth, fifth standard. I just okay. seven, eight, nine. I, I just don't exactly remember the age, but I just remember that finally towards the end of it, I was crying all the time, take me back to my mother. I want to be with her yeah. and so yeah. on. But yeah, yes, it was like, uh, I don't remember being held, being fed or I was mm-hmm. never... You know, I, I never had the opportunity to be breastfed. And, and it was mm-hmm. my aunt that I remember I was raised by. She used to take care of me. Uh-huh. And she used to be there more than my mother. My mother would occasionally okay. visit me. And that's it. That's it. Wow. Did you have siblings? I do have a sister. Okay. Is she older or younger? She is younger. Okay. So what were some of the ways that your narcissistic parents' behavior manifested once you moved back in with them? So there were constant fights, chaos. So it's when, I always say this, when you are living with two narcissistic parents, it's uh, a hell that's on fire all the time. It's never yeah. ending. It's everlasting. Um, because if there is this ego fight, one is trying to conquer mm-hmm. the other. And there is this, you know, back and forth ego injury inflicted. The covert mm-hmm. narcissist would say subtly something that we children were not able to recognize what it actually meant, but it was a, yeah. it was a veiled insult. And he would then, th- then take it personally and erupt as a malignant narcissist. Then that would lead to physical abuse, emotional mm-hmm. abuse, extreme verbal mm-hmm. abuse, and then the victimhood of the Covert narcissist. So for us children, for me, I would say my personal experience, it was hell, a torture. Every evening, something would go wrong. And that would, that means we had to be hyper vigilant. We had to walk on broken glass all the time. Mm -hmm. I can't remember even a single time being able to, you know, say, this is my home, like finally coming back and it's, I can relax. I can play. It was always like uh, survival mode. Exactly, you know, hoping that nothing happens to my mother and then hoping mm-hmm. she doesn't say something to trigger him and hoping that he wouldn't erupt and then, it, uh, you know, hoping that it wouldn't escalate into something really bad. So was most of the aggression, was that mainly aimed at each other or did you guys bear the brunt of that as well? So each other and uh, we also were targeted it was, I mean, a combination of many things. He was physically abusive, so we were performative mm-hmm. extensions. You know, we had to perform really good uh, at school and studies and all that. We had to do that. Any, um, I mean, you, you're talking about uh, getting grades and not getting them would get you a lot of physical abuse. Anything, I mean, a small mistake, no tolerance for errors at all. So physical abuse... For me, for my sister, emotional, psychological abuse, it was mm-hmm. directed at each other. With my father, it was direct, as I said. But with my mother, it was subtle. Like, I would feel guilt trip. I would feel ashamed. But I didn't know exactly mm-hmm. what. Exactly what am I doing wrong here? But I knew it was the feeling. She had, she had, um, she had me under this visible control, you know. It, it was like she had installed these button, buttons in me. She knew how to push them and then elicit yeah. a certain behavior to make me more compliant, to give in. There was no possibility yeah. for me to have any personal choices or, um, you know, separate identity. Um, having that said, it was a combination of so many things. 
and abuse was directed at us at me from both sides but manifested differently was your mother your refuge at all did she kind of overlean on you like tell me more about that dynamic that has been the most complicated aspect of it because early on it felt yeah. like she was the refuge because it's mm. very hard for me to even comprehend now she can cry at will she can make it seem like she wants the best for you she is your savior she loves you so much so she would early on uh, try to cry and try to make and make it all about how she is suffering because of our pain and what she what we have to go through but she would never think rather act on what she would always say i want to leave i want to do this i want to do that yeah. and never um and she never acted upon those words but later yeah. on this is where it gets interesting early on it felt like she was our savior we were all in this together suffering together but then later mm-hmm. when i grew older and i was i i had the physical strength to take a stand against my father and stop him that is when it got interesting because she quite shockingly and surprisingly started taking his side and justifying his behavior and once wow. i remember the last one of the last fights that i had with him over the same thing physical and uh, verbal abuse she forced me to beg for his forgiveness i mean to apologize if for no fault of mine and that mm. was like the biggest betrayal ever like yeah. what the hell you wanted me because yeah. she was always like nobody's taking a stand for me always is poisoning i mean the things yeah. she was saying were not wrong but always like you know you have to you have to he's your biggest enemy but then when i took a stand when i was like giving a pushback instead of saying finally we can now create some boundaries i was demonized i was villainized i was i became an outcast more so when i established no contact and she did not talk about how much we had to go through because of our father that used to be the story narrative changed it was more like how i abandoned my parents how i abandoned my wow. father and how i yep. had no contact and then she kind of it felt like she was the refuge she was the defender but then no she wasn't yeah. that must have been so traumatic to go through and so confusing at such a young age exactly exactly i would say it was uh, more traumatic uh, during the phase of realization that it was all alive with my mother as well she is not yeah. who i thought or perceived her to be and yeah. um, all of his all of that was nothing but a facade she knows what to say how to say it she can even change the tonality the behavior she would cry as i said mm. she can cry mm. it which is still shocking to me to know exactly how to fool you into thinking she is the best mother you could ever have but there then yeah. there is this subtle hidden grandiosity and thought yeah. and all the traits of narcissism you know of yeah well it's no wonder that you have such an incredible understanding of this disorder with the parents that you've had and the experience that you've had how did this affect your friendships growing up uh, see the, the i always say the the impact of growing up in such a disrupted dysfunctional family is always yeah. complex and complicated you know growing up in such an environment gives you complex trauma so yeah. that impacts your social functioning as well course, i hardly yeah. had any friends i was the guy who would always want to hide because i was stuck in a freeze response fight flight or freeze mm-hmm. i hated attention all the time because attention always meant punishment to me that was the association yeah. so my tra- trauma response was just to 
shut down. I hardly talked. I was kind of perceived as this weird guy by my mm-hmm. classmates, uh, by my friends. I hardly had any friends. Not that I didn't want to, but I didn't know what to yeah. do with those relationships and, uh, you know, how to be safe while having friends. And there was a lot of shame as well because there is a history of bullying out, out of outside of home that happened. But um, it negatively impacted, I would say, later in my teenage when I started having friends. There was a lot of interference from my father, you know. Okay. It was like, as I say, this your individuality and the separation from the narcissist for self and the world they create mm-hmm. around it, it's perceived as a threat. So when they perceived I was kind of leaving and moving away, then yeah. that's when they started interrupting and then... Uh, the control grew stronger and, you know, constant yeah. checks and taking away my uh, phone. And, and I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of things went on in there. Um, none of my friendships or any form of relationships I have had until recently were healthy. They were either with narcissists um, or were toxic in one or the other form because I didn't know what else to experience. So they influenced yeah. my life heavily. Everything was minutely controlled until I yeah. took it back. And that was their biggest narcissistic injury ever. That would have been a massive narcissistic injury because the independence that you started to show is just, they don't like to lose control. Exactly. So tell me a bit about that. How did you start to break free? So uh, this is quite interesting as well. Um, as I said, yeah. I was deeply enmeshed with my mother. She had created a product. And I this, this is not uh, brilliance in a positive way, but in a very negative way. She was mm-hmm. brilliant in creating the shield. I be, I was the shield at that time, you know, who would get, yeah. take all the abuse. And mm-hmm. then it was them because I never wanted to leave home. I wanted to stay there, to be there because I was always worried. He will abuse her. Something bad is going to happen to her. This constant mm-hmm. anxiety. But they so you were her protector. Yes. Yeah. They pushed me to leave, especially my father. I was sent to a college very far away from the state I am from. It was mm-hmm. a blessing in disguise. I had massive issues in the beginning with adjusting to the new environment. It was first time, uh, you know, of, of me being so far away from my home. But then ultimately, that was a blessing in disguise. I would say also, unfortunately, that led to complex uh, creation of complex issues because um, while I was in college, I ended up with further narcissists, classmates, roommates. Okay. It got really, really bad. And then it was, I was in uh, my, in, in the fourth year. It was the last semester. I, my health. What did you study? I graduated as an engineer. You know, I have a bachelor's okay. in civil engineering. So that at the time, my health anxiety had got worse. That my health issues were the primary manifestation of all mm. the psychological and somatic trauma I, I have experienced. You know, throughout my life. So it got to the point, and this might be a little triggering. It got to a point where I thought, like, I need to end my life because nothing was helping okay. me. I was taking yeah. help from doctors. They were not able to pinpoint exactly. I had digestive issues mm-hmm. since, uh, you know, since a very young age. But then it got worse with my uh, bladder issues. I had psychosomatic mm-hmm. symptoms like real pain, but without an organic cause. They were not able yep. to help. I was on antidepressants and so on. Nothing was helping with those issues. So I thought, let me, let me end this all because, you know, I don't think there is a way out. 
But again, at that time, I must tell you, I was deeply enmeshed with my mother again. I would think of her before my own pain. So I was like, it was, uh, I won't go into the details, but it was just at that moment when I was, a, I was about to kick the table, I thought about her, like what is what it is going to do to her and how much pain she would be in. I stopped myself and I, this is where I call it divine intervention. I don't know how else to explain it. At the time I was aware of narcissism. I was aware of what I had been through, but not in the context of my uh, relationship with the mother. So somebody appeared, somebody as in, uh, you know, a guide who helped me to understand that there is healing or this, there's this, this different path, you know, trauma healing to be very specific body healing. I connected with him on Facebook, who helped me a lot in learning not only different modalities, but held space for me to stabilize myself so that I could wow. find a way forward. So while I was doing it, it was like my passion has always been to help people, but I never knew how to exactly do that and, and reach yeah. out to as many people as possible. It was almost like this divine intervention, my, uh, my calling, my purpose mixed together. I kept on working on myself, but I was not fully healed or to the point of working with others. I kept doing that, kept doing that. It made sense. And then I got the direction and then, you know, I sought help from different people, different coaches, different energy healers. And, you know, that includes naturopaths. I got a different kind of, you know, um, treatment, changed diets, whatever was possible, wow. whatever became possible. That mixed my passion with the purpose. Almost like, call it God, universe divine, led me. It, a path was created quite straight and easy. All difficulties wow. went away. And this is like, it was shown to me, it feels like this is what you are supposed to do. And I started that. I embarked on that journey. Mm. And, and that is what has led me to this point. The coaching. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a in really incredible story. Um, I think that I think because I've interviewed a lot of other narcissism educators on this platform as well. And I think that's something that we all have in common is that we feel like we were led to this. We feel yes. like this was, yeah, it was the universe that something so amazing could come out of what we went through and the ability to just connect and help people all over the world is just so meaningful. Exactly. It is. Yeah. Given how big of a problem this is in our society and how common it is. So, yes, you're yeah. absolutely correct about that. Yeah. Back to your earlier times before you had this realization. Did you have any, like, family members or anyone that you could rely on outside of this enmeshed relationship with your mother? None, unfortunately. This might be really? surprising to you, but all of my family, I mean, I can... Extended family, uncles, aunts, grandparents, everyone from both sides, mother's mm -hmm. side, father's side. It may be difficult for you to believe, but all of them either are big, overt, malignant narcissists or have narcissism, mm -hmm. toxicity, dysfunctionality to a certain degree. So I didn't have anyone um, to rely on. You know, to, to say that this is my haven, this is my relationship, this is the person I can depend on. It was always like I was, it always felt like I was put in a world with no direction, with no map, and I had to navigate it on my own. 
So I didn't have any proper source of support because there was shaming, there was belittling. You were uh, put down for, I was put down for my uniqueness because this, mm -hmm. I would say, uh, this kind of abuse pushed me to go inwards. So right from the beginning, I, I, I can't say I'm spiritually aware and I know it all. No, it just, but I was always trying to search for a bigger meaning. Why is it happening? What is the, the reason behind this? So that was my source of support a lot more than any uh, human could have offered at the time, you know, connecting. Was that your own, was that your own kind of safety net, having that feeling? Like, did you cope in any other ways? Did you read? Was there any release anywhere? Yes. Uh, I loved, loved raising chickens. So I would spend okay. most of my time with them. You know, I okay. have sweet memories away from that, away from what was going inside. I would have yeah. a few chickens outside, you know, um, nobody bothers there. They're, you know, yeah. very close work to me. I, uh, okay. that was my saving grace. I would say fishes, uh, chickens, animals, cats, yeah. I would say. Yeah. That is what I connected with. And that's what helped me to cope a lot. That's amazing. And you get that love from animals. Like I'm obsessed with animals myself and I'm sure you've heard in some of my videos that my birds are always making loud noises in the background. <laughs> so I definitely connect to that. Did you have like, what kind of chickens were they? Did you have like the little babies? Would you like hold them? Like, did you get love that way? Cause animals are so healing. They are, they are. So I got a hand first. And I, I was always fascinated about how something comes out of nothing, meaning yeah. the hatching process, laying eggs, and then, you know, the process of waiting for 21 days until the chick comes mm -hmm. out, you know, and you get to watch that, how mm -hmm. there is nothing, then there are these uh, bright red blood vessels in yes. the egg radiating. So it was, yeah. I'm giving you very specific examples, but that was like, that yeah. kept me focused, that kept me i don't know if it felt like there was some kind of hope i ex i extracted from that if yeah. nothing can come out of something maybe yeah. i can also get out of this one day so yes mm -hmm. hugging as well they were very bonded with me always you know feeding them feeding times yeah. were the times of getting it out playing with them uh letting them out watching them eat mm -hmm. watching them just do what they do yeah that was like therapy for me at that time, I can say. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I remember as a kid, um, whenever I had birds and they would have eggs and just holding mm -hmm. the egg up to the light mm -hmm. and seeing the little blood vessels and then seeing like a little baby forming inside of it was <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> yes, it always is. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you still have pets? I do have two cats. Now. Two cats. Okay, nice. I have four birds and two rats. So <laughs> I actually studied Hindi. So they all have like Hindi names. Wow. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're called I, Dosti, Alu, Kazana, uh, Savi, and Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so different. That's yeah. amazing at the same time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you speak Hindi? I don't know where yes. in India you are. You do? Yes, 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 I do. Oh, very cool. Okay, so you had this 
um, healing experience. You started going into different healing modalities. You had a healing coach on Facebook that you reached out to. What were the next steps from there? Like, how did you get from there to where you are now with this? You've got this massive presence online. You're helping thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Tell me about the journey. When I was uh, introduced to these different healing modalities, I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, where was all of this until now? Like, why? First, I was introduced to trauma-informed hypnosis. So I found that very reforming and soothing. And Mm -hmm. that led me to finding out that I'm actually interested in psychology. I want to pursue Mm -hmm. this as my career as well, because I Mm -hmm. had studied uh, to become an engineer, which I didn't like. And then that led me to getting trained in various modalities and ultimately pursuing master's degree in clinical psychology. So uh, I got trained in various modalities to begin with it was cbt but i found it quite dry then i delved into uh, uh, more he- energy healing modalities such as eft okay. which is called tapping then that mm-hmm. led me to tat tapas acupressure technique then that led mm-hmm. me to havening ultimately mm-hmm. brain spotting then recently wow. i uh, learned tre trauma releasing exercises and then that uh, many c- certifications one of the major one is uh, is getting certified as a clinical trauma specialist, you know, the framework wow. of how you work with actually trauma, because I had the experience, but then you also need the knowledge of what trauma does to you. How do you approach clients, the different yeah. presentations and, you know, how do you actually help someone heal while, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being cognizant and mindful of what is coming up for you. So I had to take the training I had to take mm-hmm. the gu- guidance and supervision, which is something that I have been doing. And when it comes to the presence establishing myself, it's as I said, it's not just me. Mm. I I call it divine uh, divine intervention for right reasons because I had offered so many people to join me in this ven- into in this venture. Like let's do it together mm-hmm. because I knew that's going to be really helpful. But then I found someone, you know, a friend who eventually then became my business partner. Okay. He showed a lot of interest, you know, as if he recognized the potential in that. At that time, mm-hmm. I was like, it was nothing. It was just an idea. And I was just doing some, you know, posts on Instagram, posting something mm-hmm. here and there whenever I could. And he yeah. truly recognized that, yes, this is something that can lead to wow. this. And be- because he had masters in business administration, you know, marketing okay. and Good finance. Time. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's combine this together. Show me the way. He led me and mm-hmm. I kept doing my thing, offering what I had. He actually mm-hmm. marketed it, came up with a strategy. Consistency wow. is uh, the key and the team, then yeah. video editors and you know other people involved. Wow. It has taken a lot of work and team effort to get us here. So you first started out in sort of, was it general trauma healing? And then you kind of went into the narcissistic side? No, I was very um, right. Uh, I was very clear right from the beginning that I need okay. to do narcissistic abuse. So I started with okay. it because, as I said, towards the end of it, I was aware of what had happened to me, mm-hmm. what it is called. I needed to actually what is what they call niche down and focus on that specific thing, which I did. Yeah, and uh, I knew right away what I had to focus on. So it, then, parallelly, I 
got trained in trauma work because ultimately okay. when it comes to healing, information about narcissism is great, but you need to go in there. And for that, you need to know how to do that. Okay. And how did your family react? It didn't, in very, in different ways. When mm-hmm. back then, when I had not gone for no contact with my parents and when I used mm-hmm. to occasionally visit them, my father would always put me down still. Like, what's this? He would okay. like, he would, he would shame, uh, the word. He would read narcissists in a way that would shame me. I knew what he was actually doing, but I didn't give him any yeah. response to that. I was in preparation of fully leaving. I only used to go back for my mother because I didn't okay. know back then she is the same thing. Um, so they, in the beginning, they don't, didn't react well. They were still, you know, putting me down. What is this? You know, this is a bubble. It's going to burst. Come on. You should do this. You should do that. Didn't care. I was very clear about what I wanted and how to get there. Ultimately, when I started talking about my raw experiences, raw experiences, mentioning them and their names, Mm -hmm. that is when it got really bad. I started getting calls from my extended family. What are you doing? How could you be shaming your family? And then even my mother, you know, sent me messages like, she wasn't like, are you okay? Is this because this is what happened? We went together. That was like, it was a signal of narcissistic mortification. They were like, mm-hmm. you should, you have to stop talking about these things because other people are watching these videos. What are they going to think about your father? What are mm-hmm. they going to think about me? A lot of guilt tripping. I didn't pay any attention to that because I knew I was not running any smear campaigns. I was just yeah, speaking my truth. truth. Yeah. So uh, it, it was How a mixed the- reaction. Yeah. How had the rest of the family viewed your parents? They knew uh, about my father, if we were to talk about my mother's side, they knew who he was. You know, my grandfather, my grandmother, uncles, aunts, everyone knew who he is and who he has Mm -hmm. been. Because as I said, he was really, really bad as a malignant narcissist, very busy. So um, he... They, they saw him as his, but the problem is they didn't care. They are used to this mm-hmm. pattern. My grandfather, who I thought was like an angel because he, he is quite, you know, nice. It's on the surface level has that facade similar to my mother's, but he is the same. So they knew what was going on, but they didn't intervene. They let it happen. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. How they saw my mother was as this eternal victim, because as you know, with covert narcissism, she loves to be seen as the biggest victim in the yeah. whole room. And that is what the image they have enabled constantly. And um, there was, I, I also can say she never got any support from them, but then she loved to okay. get that supply of, you know, being enabled. From my father's uh, side, family side, my father is the golden child, you know, the one who's oh, okay. adored by both his parents, especially his father, who is a true crazy psychopath, worse than my father. Okay. Uh, wow. So they don't see anything wrong with him. They constantly enabled him, even when he was physically abusive uh, to the point of, you know, killing us, I would say. No response from them. They would always take his side whenever we used to get their help. So they always put him on pedestal. My mother was an enemy. To them, mm-hmm. uh, she, I mean, 
a lot of belittling, as you would see in many Indian households. This is like a cultural okay. thing as well. You know, this is okay. enabled. There was enmeshment between the father and the son, and then the okay. you know belittling, cornering of the the spouse, the partner of the son. That happened. So it was a okay. mixed, very complicated, mushy uh, relational dynamic that made no sense whatsoever, but was dysfunctional from both sides. Yeah. Okay. It's quite incredible the way that you have come from this environment, but yet you had the the self-confidence and the self-esteem to strive and do what you're doing now. Like you walked into what you're doing with so much confidence and so much capability. Where do you think that came from? Uh, I did. First of, all, um, first of all, I would say I didn't have any of that. Uh, any of that. Really? I remember when I got my first client, I was shivering, you know, I was sweating all the time, <laughs> trying to do it right. So I had a, I had stage, a stage fright. You know, I still sometimes get anxious, but I was not like this at all with low self-esteem because mm -hmm. as I said, there's history of bullying at school and so on. So mm. very uh, deeply insecure and unsure of who I am. And then it would, I would get, literally I would freeze whenever mm -hmm. an opportunity would come up for me to speak or speak before an audience. Mm -hmm. Then eventually as I tapped into my core self, because I didn't know who I was, I just knew my responses, my trauma responses, and that was my mm -hmm. identity until I discovered and tapped in, like, what do I stand for? What is my identity? Who am yeah. I authentically without these layers? And that, and that helped me to truly become self-aware and confident because until then I had tried, you know, this thing and that thing to just Mm -hmm. be more but it was all surface level it's only when i went in this is what i also advise or suggest that mm -hmm. you have to go in when i got in touch with that core that is like when it all was taken away and practice practice yeah initially i was anxious then you know it got away a little bit more yeah. but that came self-confidence and self-worth yeah. was ultimately through healing with mm -hmm. that in combination helped me to know who i am as i said Self-concept came from there. So mm -hmm. it was not always like this. Time, practice, experience is what got me here. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. And I think you said before that you're in your 20s. Yes, I'm 28. I can't believe how young you are. You have so much like wisdom and maturity and you've had such a journey. It, as you might already know, as children of narcissistic parents, we have to grow up really Cost, yeah. you know, we don't have the liberty to be children. I remember, yeah, you know, it was even really difficult for me to go out and play with other children because the th worry mm -hmm. was, now if I leave, even for a second, sky will fall, something really bad would happen, and I won't be there to rescue my mother. That was my mm -hmm. focus. That was my beginning and the end of my life. Nothing outside yeah. of that. Well, yeah, that's incredible. So she really had you in that savior role. She was the ultimate victim. Yes, yes, that is what happens with COVID narcissists. You know, it's just yeah. the family is always split. And when it comes to the roles, I mean, you know about you can be a golden child, a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. Scapegoat, yeah. So I, I, it has been always confusing for me because I was many at, at the same time, a golden child, mm -hmm. but at the same time, mm -hmm. scapegoat. So it was never consistent. Mm -hmm. There was no blind mm -hmm. enabling, but then there was enabling as well. But then there was, you were a scapegoat. Ultimately, I became the black sheep. And I'm yeah. grateful that I, I can imagine. became one. 
Yeah. Um, so within narcissistic relationships, with romantic relationships, we have the cycle of love bombing, devaluation, and discard. This also happens in parent-child relationships. Did any yes. of this manifest with your parents? I imagine it might have happened with your mother. Did that ever happen with your father? No. With my father, it was like the same. Always. Always, you, yeah. You might have heard about breadcrumbs and how they breadcrumb yeah. you here and there. Mm-hmm. I don't remember getting any breadcrumbs from him. He was... Mm-hmm. He was a jerk and he was always like that. He, okay. The only difference is like when he would be busy with his work, doing something of his own and the focus and attention would not be on us as children. That, those were the moments of relief. Like, okay, he's uh-huh. either gone or focused, taken away. You know, he's not, fo- he's not focused on what's happening with our life. Uh-huh. But no, with my father, there was no love bombing. And then it was the cycles. There were no cycles. It was the same mm, thing. Constant. He was a malignant overt narcissist, totally disconnected, emotionally dead, very cruel, callous, absent, this, this, uh, unaffectionate, fatherly, uh, dominating presence. That is what I remember him with my mother. This used to be, you know, it's not like in a narcissistic romantic relationship. You would have love bombing, then intermittent cycles of hot mm-hmm. and cold behavior, ultimately discard mm-hmm. within a, within that relationship with my mother it was never isn't you know the discard phase sometimes is missing until you expose the family yeah but it's always like back and forth there is this love arming and then there is this devaluation subtle sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes very overt but then back and forth most of the times there is there isn't a discard because they need you more than you need them they are keeping you for what is to come for them you know they want to keep you around. So it's very different in uh, narcissistic parental relationships. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What were some of the most difficult things that you had to overcome in your childhood? Obviously, it was all quite traumatic. But what were some of the things that you had to overcome that sort of stand out looking back? The biggest memory that has taken me so much effort and so much time to work on and still it's activating. I mean, there are many, but this one is when it's it just remember once uh, my mother fainted and nothing mm-hmm. could wake her up. Now I question, was it faint? Mm-hmm. Was it real? I don't know. But she fainted after getting physically abused by him. I, I, I don't, oh, no. I mean, I, I won't go into the details of what led to that, but he physically abused him badly. She fainted and then was like that for hours. You know, we tried to wake oh, wow. her, her up. It was like my mother, at that moment, it felt like she died. And that was the yeah. ultimate collapse, ultimate fear, nightmare, right in front of me manifested. And then at that you? time, I, I was still in my, uh, in fifth grade, I suppose. No. Yes, I was very young. Uh, mm. It's at that time, to be honest with you, I started cursing God. Like, how the hell mm. would you let this happen to me? Why? Yeah. yeah. Very traumatic, you know, in, in tears. Begging, I mean, uh, feeling totally helpless, trying to wake her up. Then I, we had to call her aunt. Our, our, my, I mean, my aunt. She did something. She stopped her from. She, she, she stopped her from breathing, and finally she got out of it. But for me, it was one of the worst experiences I have ever ever had, and very traumatizing. That left a mark. So yeah. there are there. Are, Similar experiences, you know, uh, there are so many, but this is one of the most difficult ones. And then 
anytime anything would happen to her, you know, she would mm. often uh, faint and she would pass out these things and with the, the every battering episode, every single one led to chronic activation to yeah. the point of my digestive system totally shutting down. Like three days, yeah. I wouldn't eat, eat anything, but the food that I had three days before would come out. After three mm-hmm. days, you can imagine how bad it was. So mm-hmm. it was all bad, I would say. There aren't any yeah. few big occasions that stand out, but what this is the one that stand, stands out the most. But overall, yeah. there are hundreds of experiences that I can share which were equally bad. Yeah. You describe such an enmeshed relationship with your mother. Was it difficult to go no contact? Very difficult. Very difficult okay. in the Tell early stages. That. So, because when you are with a covert vulnerable narcissist, the main driver of your behavior is guilt and yeah. a sense of obligation. Because yeah. they're not pushing you; it's just they have put it in there. And when you do this, when you like create that distance and space, you're always feeling bad, and you feel like you're such a horrible person for doing that to this poor yeah. mother. Who's because the, the narrative was, I have sacrificed my whole life for you. I have done this. Mm-hmm. I have done that. How could you do that to me? Yeah. I've only done good to you. I saved you. The reality yeah. is not that. It's so skewed. So uh, it was extremely difficult. With my father, it was like this, because I knew what yeah. I'm letting go of. There's nothing that I should hold on to. With my mother, it was very difficult, a lot of back and forth because then she, these people know no limits when it comes to abusing yeah. you. It got to a point where she feigned massive health issues. I didn't give in. Then you weaponized my extended family, her parents. I didn't give in. Wow. A lot of things went on where I finally got to a point where I said, no, this is not going to work anymore for me. I'm going to stay away. I'm going to stay away as much as possible. No matter how much cognitive dissonance I have, I have to focus on what happens after every chance I give them at the end of it, what it leads to. Yeah. So it t- took me a long time to do that. But to be honest with you, occasionally, I, you know, even though I know what it is, but I would still have those um, yeah. episodes of cognitive and emotional of dissonance, course. more so. Yeah emotional dissonance like feeling bad for her remembering her mm-hmm. tears feeling empathy mm-hmm. but i have to hold mm-hmm. myself back and say no i know this is going to be weaponized you have to save yourself you have to save your health otherwise there's going to be nothing but destruction yeah and it's so hard because when you're raised by a narcissist and narcissists in general in romantic relationships as well they make you responsible for them entirely you're responsible for how they feel you're responsible for how they behave you're responsible for everything and when you're raised with that it's really hard to put that responsibility down exactly exactly you feel like it's you, your burden to carry you embody and personalize yeah. the trauma you're right. It's like, uh, for me, it, it almost felt like cutting the umbilical cord now. It felt like it wasn't yeah. cut off back then. So that was my cord cutting. I had to cut it off emotionally. Did you find that you had other friendships where you, like this kind of feeling of being responsible for the way that other people treat you? Did that extend out to friendships and things like that? Yeah. I was, um, I call it a fawning, I mean, you may know it as a fawn trauma response, but as it is usually called, people pleasing, I was a big time 
people pleaser. I would sabotage myself, completely walk over myself, treat myself like I was, I was not there. So it was more like, who is this person now? What do I got to do to please them so that they keep me yeah. in their life? And so you can stay safe. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You read you what they need. Safe. Yeah. To protect yourself. It's a self-protection mechanism. Yeah. Exactly. So what advice would you give to the adult child of a narcissist who is starting to realize, starting to connect the dots? I would say you are not the crazy one here. You're not making this up. What you're realizing is real. They're ad- as bad as it seems and as it looks, trust your intuition, try to connect with it. And it may be shocking for you to realize that your entire life was either alive or filled with trauma. Believe that as you mm-hmm. see it. Don't try to justify it in your head because that's only going to prolong your stay. And try to leave as enmeshed or as dependent you may be, try to leave because there's nothing you can ever do to fix them or fix your relationship mm-hmm. with them. It's like hitting your head against a wall. You can't get through it. It's just they are destined to be this. If you want to be compassionate, just be compassionate from distance. Your absence would lead to, in in very rare cases, to some awareness who they are. But consider it to be a a dead case. And unfortunately, you may also have to realize that your parents are already dead or that parent who is a narcissist, they're already gone. And this is like a neat suit walking yeah. around. It's too late. It seems like they are there, but they are not. You have been on mm-hmm. your own. So trust yourself, leave, maintain distance, work on yourself, bring that light out of you, connect with your core and break the cycle. It's worth it. And because I mostly speak about narcissistic abuse in romantic relationships, what advice would you give to someone who's just getting out of a romantic relationship with a narcissist? It's going to be very difficult for you to recognize that they are that bad because cognitive Mm -hmm. dissonance is going to keep you trapped and trauma bonding is going to push you to go back constantly to the same source. But you need to understand the source of your pain cannot be the source of your healing. As difficult as it might be, you have to stay away, maintain no contact and gradually do so. Understand and consider it as a process of de-addiction. You know, you will Mm -hmm. get over it, not at once. And you will have to go go through an intense grieving process that may Mm -hmm. make you feel you're not making any progress and you may feel like you're back at square one. Uh, You may take a few steps forward, but then have few steps backwards as well. So... It's okay. It's okay. Go through it. See them for who they are. That will set you free. Move through the grief. Let it, let that sadness happen and take its time. And then that would lead you to acceptance, which will then lead you to letting go and moving on. So Danish, where can people find you on social media? What are your social media handles and your website? On every uh, major social media, I go by the username of Narc Abuse Coach. You know, on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. And my website is emotionalabuserecovery.com. There are sessions, courses, free resources. Everything is on there. So this is how people can reach out. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Danish. I think out of everyone, you were the person that I was most excited to talk to because I resonate with your content so much. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm beyond grateful that I am able to help and you were able to resonate with what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
If you enjoy this series, leaving a review helps others find the podcast. For more insights and resources, you can visit ClaireAuden.com or follow me on TikTok and Instagram at ClaireAuden. Stay safe and see you again in the next episode. Yeah.